Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today, you will hear a sermon from Pastor Jeff Abiera. So without further ado, here he is. And good morning, good morning, church. If you're new here, welcome. Our hope is that you would have a genuine encounter with God with us if you're here in person or online. My name is Jeff Abiera, and I have the honor of being the next-gen pastor here at Harvest, and I'm so excited to study God's Word with you all today. Every time I preach, I do this thing. If you're a Christ follower, please repeat after me, and when we say it, let's embrace these words with truth, zeal, and love. Please repeat after me and say, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Amen. I am loved by God. And I am the light of the world. Amen. In the past several weeks, each pastor here at Harvest has been taking a Sunday to share what's been placed on our hearts for this upcoming year. And in week one, we heard from Pastor Dave, and Pastor Dave shared from the book of Joshua titled, Choose for Yourself. And it was a farewell speech, including the famous verse, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In week two, we heard from Pastor Frank. And we learned about disciple-making, not just discipleship, but learning how to pass on our faith and the importance of that. Last week, we heard from Pastor Stan, titled, Don't Give Up on the Church. And he addressed church hurt, and even in his own life. But he also mentioned that the church was intended to grow and have the cornerstone of Jesus Christ at the forefront. Today, we dive into the book of 2 Samuel. And we're going to go into the life of David, famous David, once again. And I'll be honest, I've been waiting to give this message. It's a message that's been burning on my heart because I also need to hear it. The title of my message is Another Year, Another Giant. Turn to your neighbor and say, Another Year, Another Giant. Amen. We're going to go and learn about a principle of battle. We're going to learn a concept of a fight. Actually, real quick, raise your hand if you've ever been in a fight before. Don't worry, we won't judge you too much. Okay, we got some fighters. They're like, Mom, right? It's okay, you can put your hand down. Today, I want to talk about a fight, but not the fight that you know, includes boxing or MMA. I want to talk about a fight that actually goes and affects us beyond this life and the life to come. It's a fight that includes the good fight of faith. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, and if you're thinking about David, you're probably thinking about David and Goliath, which is in 1 Samuel, but actually we're going to go to 2 Samuel, chapter 21, 15 through 22. And the classic war here, King David is here. But he's not the young stud he is anymore. He's in the latter years of his kingship. And something happens that I think is very interesting, and we could learn a lot from when it comes to fighting the good fight of faith. Israel is at war again. Starting with verse 15, it says, Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benab was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed 
the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. And as they fought, Sibachai from Hushash killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair, from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle, the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shemiah. Verse 22, these four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. Amen. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that when we look to your word, it's not just a piece of text, but God, it is living and it is active. And that it has has the power to change the hearts of mankind. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you as we learn how to fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think it's safe for us to assume that many of us have heard the story of David and Goliath. We've heard of that iconic story. Some of us, we've been hearing it since we could start reading. The story we just read was years after the original David and Goliath altercation. But let's recap that for a moment. Let's bring us back. Imagine now the prequel of our main passage. There's a flashback. The wind is blowing. There's stillness in the air. There's tension. Everyone in the land is watching what's going to happen next, anticipating two unlikely opponents as they step up to one another. What's going to happen? In all of Israel, no one was willing to face the Philistine giant, Goliath of Gath except for a young shepherd boy named David. And while everyone is freaking out, I could just picture David. I could picture him with confidence walking up saying, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. Who is this man? They're standing far from each other. He looks Goliath in the eyes, and this is what the Bible says. He said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Wow, that's some powerful stuff. And he said, today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. Next man, strong man, Goliath, it says that he starts approaching David. And David, in response, starts running ninja style all the way towards Goliath. He whips out a sling with a rock in it. He releases. And out of all the places that this huge Goliath had armor, it hit him in the one spot where he wasn't covered, right between his eyes. Boom. And he hits the floor. I'm sure there was a moment of shock and silence when they realized what happened. And I bet you anything, Israel went crazy after that. I'm sure after that, they felt like nothing could defeat them. Our God prevailed. This is the story of many years ago before this passage. 
Have you ever felt like that, though? Maybe there was something in your life, and you were right up against it. And it was the first time you faced that type of situation. Maybe for some, it was a financial giant. And then finally, you were able to get out of debt or get a higher-paying job. Maybe for some of us, it was an exam you worked so hard on. They've been talking about it since the beginning of school year. And you aced it. Maybe for some of us, it was anxiety. During the pandemic, some of us were scared to go outside. And then finally, you went outside and lived your life again and was no longer paralyzed by fear. There was a victory. Maybe for some of us, there's an inner demon giant of depression, anxiety, and job loss of the past. But then you overcame it and you stand here a different person. Now, it's good to celebrate these moments. I celebrate with you. It's good to enjoy the victories of God in our lives and in the lives around us. But here's the thing. I think we need to embrace and understand from this passage that Goliath may have been defeated years ago, but what we learn in 2 Samuel is that Goliath had brothers. Another year, another giant. In our main passage, actually, if you count and if you, if you study the context of it, these were the last remaining giants that were on the earth, and the Israelites faced off with them. And some scholars say that all four were Goliath's brothers. Some scholars say that only one. But from my research, I'm, I have agreed, and I think I... Um, have understood everything that I've read, and I think we can assume that they were brothers. Let's just go from that context for the sake of today's message. I wonder what it was like to see these giants. Years ago, they defeated giants. Did they forget how big Goliath was? And they're like, oh my gosh, these are some other big giants. Or were they like, oh my gosh, we already defeated one, do we have to do more? Scholars say that at least they were nine feet tall. I'm six foot three. They were three feet taller than me. And Israel faced a total of five giants. Now, real quick, quiz time. How many stones did David take with him when he fought against Goliath? Anybody? Yell it out. It was five. How many stones did he use to slay Goliath? It was one. I believe that maybe God was foreshadowing that there would be more giants to come. Another year, another giant, another stone, another giant. The main passage says they were in the thick of battle, and David became weak and exhausted. The King David, the undefeated one, they're like, oh my gosh, our leader is weak and exhausted. He was tired. Now, his passion and his desire was there, but in his humanity, his people could see that he was struggling. And he was saved by his friend, Abishai. I think it's interesting what Abishai said. It says this in the scripture. It says, after he rescued him, you are not going to go out to battle with us again, David. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? And I think we can learn a lot from this as a church Some of us have trouble receiving help. And I think what we can learn from Abishai is that when receiving and giving help, sometimes it's not just about you. 
He brought up Israel and the light of Israel in this moment. There's something greater oftentimes when someone is trying to help. And within this context, it was about the kingdom of God. It's about carrying each other's burdens as we see all throughout the scripture. The kingdom of God was never meant to be built on one person, but as we learned last week, it's meant to be built on the cornerstone of Jesus. And I know it can be hard to get help sometimes, guys, but there's more at stake that David had to learn when facing another giant. Now, the reality is there will be times where we do have to fight alone. And as Christians, we have to remember that as Christians, we are never truly fighting alone. God is with us. He's our manual. Isaiah says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And there will be times where we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord in the same way David did many times in his life. But there will also be times, as we learn in 2 Samuel, where the fight is not just for ourselves. Guys, I remember not so long ago, I was so low. And I can't share all the details yet, but one day I will. But just like Pastor Stan shared last week, I went through a lot of church hurt in the past few years to the point where I didn't think I would be a pastor ever again. And I was just like David. I was weak. And I felt as though everything I worked so hard for just came crumbling. And this is how bad it was. I was so down that I didn't even have the strength to pray out loud. I had to allow my tears speak louder prayers than my words could ever do. And as a pastor and a Christ follower of over two decades, that is so hard for me to admit that I couldn't even pray out loud. Something just, it, the words just couldn't get out of me. And I was burned out. My, no, my, my wife saw it in my eyes. And something needed to be resurrected. As a guy who has been known to, to take the lead and to step into things that, and be bold, this was a moment where I was no longer like that young David. So what did I do? I had to ask for help. And for someone who was always being asked for help, I had to pause helping others, humble myself, and see that there is a bigger picture at stake. I had to seek friends, family, and even professional help. And in the moments where I would wake up and throughout the day, where I couldn't even pray out loud, even though I wanted to, you know what I did? I turned to my phone and my computer, and I went on YouTube, and I said, prayers for those who are hurting. And I don't know if you know, but there is hundreds of videos where people just pray. And because I couldn't do it myself, I played these videos over myself and received the help that I needed. So if ever you feel like you can't pray but you want it, man, just ask for help or go on YouTube. And let it pray over you. 
See, when David was weak and he couldn't find it anymore, Abishai said, you've done enough, let us step in right now. There's a story in the book of Exodus, and one of my favorite stories when it comes to getting help and seeing the body of Christ move together. It was Moses, and they were fighting against the Amalekites. And what happened? In this situation, Moses was instructed to raise his hands during the battle. And when they were, when his hands were raised, the Amalekites were getting defeated, and Israelite was winning. Right? And he's like, yeah, just got to keep my hands up. Right? And then as soon as it started going down, they started losing. And he's like, oh my gosh, I got to keep my hands up. Right? I don't know what happened when it was right here. But they realized that. So what did he do? Aaron and her, the friends came. They said, hey, sit on that rock. Aaron took one arm. Her took the other arm. And they continued to lift his hands. Guys, there's some of us in this room, we need our hand, we want our hands lifted, but we need somebody to help us. And in the action of lifting hands, it's simply saying, I surrender to you, God. And in the same way Moses and the Israelites had victory over the Amalekites, it's the same way we can have victory as the body of Christ. When we help one another and serve one another, it is possible to actually glorify God in the way you even receive help. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Ecclesiastes says if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity someone who falls and has no one to help them up. There's some giants where we fight on our own, but there's other giants that we fight as a community. There is a real battle of good and evil. Movies love to talk about it. There is a real battle between the separation from God and communion with God. And we need to learn how to fight our giants and the giants of others. Another year, another giant. Say that one more time. Another year, another giant. A giant may be so hard to defeat. It's that boss level in a video game. But as we continue in the passage... We see that after Abishai steps in for David, what happens next? In the passage, we see that there's three more giants. And the Bible's very clear that they were all from Gath. They all knew each other. They were all relative. Maybe they even looked similar to each other. For some of us, we've conquered a giant. We've conquered another giant that was similar to the first giant. And then a third giant that kind of feels the same is back again. In certain circles, one may call this a familiar spirit, a stronghold of struggle or pain or sickness or anything that is difficult that continues to come up. How many of us have faced a familiar spirit, a similar giant that it's right in front of us. In this next moment, I want to give a trigger warning. I'm going to mention some heavy topics that refer to sexual sin. So if you need to head out and listen later, you may do so. In my life, there has been a familiar spirit of church scandal that I have closely been affected by. It's a giant where it feels like Goliath's brothers just keep rising 
Ever since I entered into formal ministry 15 years ago, I have witnessed firsthand in front of me six separate scandals. That included people I love, both on the offender side and the survivor side. And during each scandal, just to be honest, it felt like a part of me died. Some of the churches I came from were torn apart by scandals. And if you were here last year, I even mentioned about three of them last year. For those who don't know, I was a director of a youth conference called Joshua Generation, referred to as JGen, and some of you actually served under me in the past. It was a conference of over 100 churches yearly, and there was a scandal by our prominent figure and main speaker, Min Chung. And the scandal occurred, and I had to make a whole lot of tough decisions with other directors. You know, I actually became one of the directors on the same day that I was notified of the scandal. And I prayed, I said, why, God? Why am I stepping into this? And the more I prayed, I, I learned, and looking back, that I was not there to build the ministry to go to the next level, which I thought I was supposed to do. My purpose on the reason why I was there is to help the ministry die well. And that was so hard for me to grasp at the time. Giant after giant, scandal after scandal. A few weeks ago, news broke out of another scandal, another giant that I'm facing, another familiar spirit. My close friend and mentor, his name is John Kim, who previously served at Salvation Army Church in Chicago. My mentor, my very close friend. He's been in the news and on social media for another scandal. There are currently multiple allegations against him of abuse, and it's in the litigation legal process. And this is someone who I walked with for many years and served in great capacities together. And even a few months ago, he was our main speaker for one of our young adult events here at Harvest. And although his specific case is an ongoing one, as a pastor and as a friend, my hope is that God would just let truth come out any truth, whatever the truth is, whatever is hidden, and that healing can begin in the hearts of all who have been affected, including those who have been hurt, and including his family. I want to take a moment real quick and just say that if you've been affected by that news or know him, that is why we have our Tove group here at Harvest. 
who has taken the lead on making sure that here at Harvest we have accountability and a safe place to have healthy conversations and to process and seek healing. Now, to say the least, though, man, my heart is grieving. I said there has been six. This passage has five giants. God, why I got to have more than, than David? I'm fighting this huge giant of discouragement. No matter the outcome of the trial, the reality is that I'm grieving because I will probably never lead another conference, retreat, or event with my friend standing next to me again. And as someone who does recognize who does recognize the power of spiritual authority and and does operate under it, I, I just have to say I am so sorry. So sorry for what our communities had had to face. Yeah, it's true. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we're all not perfect. But as someone who's a pastor, I got to say it again. I am so sorry on behalf of what even the word pastor or spiritual leader has done to people in a negative way. And I don't, I know I don't need to say it. I'm not in in the spotlight for, for a scandal or anything. But I feel like even hearing it from a pastor means something. And I hope it can bring some of you all healing if you face church hurt. Another year, another giant. There's a very real enemy that may come and attack. And the devil loves to do certain things, even though he knows he's going to lose. There's three things that I believe that the devil tries to do in our pursuit of following God. The first one is this. He tries to distract. He tries to help make you take your eyes off of God, even if it's for a moment. He tries to distract, or he tries to desensitize. Maybe he hits you with the familiar spirits, like what I said, and it's just like, oh, here we go again. It'll never change. But that's another form of tactic for him to scheme against you. And the last one is to discourage you. He's going to make sure and try that you will lose all form of hope. But I want to remind you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Which means that the devil can take, can't take you down fully. So what he's going to try to do is distract, desensitize, and discourage. But he does not have the last say. Amen? At this time, I want to invite Sue, our seeds director, to the front. I want her to share quickly a, a giant that she is facing in her, her own life. Can, so can we welcome Sue at this time? Good morning, Harvest. My name is Sue, and for those who don't know me, I am the director of children's ministry, just as Pastor Jeff said, um, called Seeds Kids Church. And they are 
in their classes with their loving teachers learning about Jesus right now in his word. Um, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for allowing me to share this morning. Uh, many of you know that being up in front of all of you is not my comfort zone to speak in public, but here I am. God has called me to come this morning. So how many of you have chosen a word for the year? Raise your hand. Yeah, my hunter still won't share his word with me, but that's okay. Um, so last December, I was thinking of my word of the year and what it would be. And as I was thinking about it, the word that kept coming to mind was abundant. The verse I kept thinking about was John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life to the full, an abundant life. So my conversations with God, I said, God, does this mean in 2023 it's all about me and all the things I want to do and taking care of myself? And I shared with someone, I almost felt selfish, but I was excited for this abundant life, this year where I would feel the freedom to put me first. The word abundant in my mind meant one thing, but God would show me this abundance would be something completely different. And this is where it gets a little hard. A couple weeks ago, I got a phone call from my doctor, and I found out that I have breast cancer. <clears throat> it's still hard for me to say the words, and it is still hard for me to believe. It's a lot to take in. This word abundance, which I thought would be in fun and enjoyment, would be the lens I used to see God working in the days after my diagnosis. What the thief would try to hide in my body to steal, destroy, and kill, God would bring to light in an annual medical screening. Jesus would show his abundance throughout meeting the doctors, talking about my cancer, and talking through my possible treatment with words like, we caught it early. You have a favorable outcome. God would give me abundance in years of my life by catching it early. I'm going to claim that as true. He would show his abundance through a random Bible verse shared, through music, through prayers said by me and for me, and through a team of amazing women ready to take on seeds whenever I am not able to. He would show his abundance by providing a sister in Jesus that I have yet to meet face to face, but who is a breast cancer survivor and even though we have only spoken on the phone and texted, she was willing to walk with me at this time. God kept showing me his abundance over and over again. And I'll be honest, I'm not trying to paint a picture of rainbows and unicorns. The truth is, I have cancer. There was nothing I did that caused me to have this. This is just what is true about me right now. And I have shed a lot of tears and still do over this truth. However, in my conversations with God, I have felt real peace. And I have felt hope even in the grieving of this diagnosis. God calls me to come to him 
no matter where I am in my thinking or feeling or whatever challenge I am facing, God has been reminding me I am not alone. And I wanted to share um, just a couple verses that have highlighted my days in the past few weeks. And in Psalm 143.8, it says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Yes, Lord, I'm going to entrust my life to you. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, Lord, I won't lose hope. Show your power. I'm just at the beginning of my journey with cancer, and I know there is still much to decide and much to do. This is my personal journey, and there's no normal way to go through this. Everyone's story is unique and different, but one day I hope I can walk along someone going through their struggle. My prayer is, God, if I'm going to fight this battle, would you use it for something good? Since I got that call that day, there have been times where I felt such a powerlessness to do anything to help or change what is happening. However, I have the power to pray. And even when I don't have the words to speak, the Holy Spirit is speaking on my behalf. Harvest, will you pray for me and my family? Because this morning, God is showing me abundance again. I see my church family, who God has provided for me, and I see once again that I am not alone. And I see God drawing all of us closer to him. Amen. Thank you, Sue. In a little bit, we're going to pray for Sue and her family. Um, But at this time, yeah, uh, worship team, you can come up. In closing, yes, another giant, another year, another giant. But I do have one closing point that I want to continue. And it's another giant, another victory. In the last verse of our scripture, it says, These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. As followers of Christ, the end is always victory for us. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Brokenness, pain is defeated. But until we get to that day, we do have to fight. Going back to the prequel of our story of the first giant, there's something that we can learn. When David looked at Goliath and said, I'm going to cut your head off, you know what he did? He actually cut his head off. And when I, I went on this deep rabbit hole about the giant Goliath. 
I probably spent way too much time studying him. His bones, everything. Because I wanted to know, how does this relate to Jesus? After defeating Goliath, the, the Bible is very clear that David took the head of Goliath and he went to Jerusalem. And during that time, I started to understand and learn that the place that he probably took the head was not in the city because it wasn't really active yet, but it was at the outside city gates at the top of the hill. And then I started to lean into that a little bit more. What is this place? And why doesn't anybody talk about this? And I began to learn that the place where he brought Goliath's head is the same area where Jesus walked on Calvary to the cross. And in Matthew 27, it says this, where Jesus was carrying the cross, actually when he needed to give the cross to someone else to carry. It says they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Why was it called the place of the skull? Golgotha. Think about that word for a moment. Where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Gath. Goliath of Gath. Where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha. The place where the giant was laid, his head, was the same place where Jesus defeated our giant. Once and for all. The skull that was there before was the physical giant. But what Christ did was defeat the biggest spiritual giant that goes beyond this lifetime. Guys, we face our giants knowing that the giant of giants was defeated by the king of kings. So today, as we pray, I'm going to invite Sue's family to come up. Uh, Hunter and Phil, if you can come up as well. We're going we're gonna to fight today as a church body. And we're going to pray, and we're going to lift their arms up, just like Aaron and her did. And then we're also going to take a moment to pray in the way that we fight our giants. So I'm going to ask the praise team, can we actually just uh, sing over them uh, the chorus for Living Hope? Let's all stand up for a moment. Some of you know this family specifically. Actually, elders, if you can come up too. And any seeds, uh, teachers, if you want to come up and gather around them. We're going to pray for them. And I'm going to ask some of you to pray through the song. Pray this song. You can actually pray a song over them. And then I'm going to ask some of you also to just pray in your own words. But just like Moses kept his hands up, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands towards the front right now. And there's something I learned a long time ago when it comes to worship. I learned from one of my favorite pastors that when we lift our hands just like Moses... It's the only time the lifting of hands means two things. In some scenarios, lifting the hands means I surrender. I give up. In other situations, at basketball games, baseball games, the lifting of the hands means victory. 
But when we worship, it means both surrender and victory. And that's what we're going to pray over them at this time. So bow your heads and close your eyes, but keep your hands lifted at this time. And let's just pray for Sue and her family. Let's pray for a, a heart transformation. But man, let's also pray for the doctors. Let's pray for healing and let's pray in faith. Let's pray at this time. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.